Hello, and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host, B from Core and Flora Store, and this is the Great Birth Rebellion. Yes, welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Great Birth Rebellion. B and I back with you today, and today we're talking about, it's kind of a flow on from, we did an episode, can't even remember what number it was, how to be a great birth support, but this week, today, we're talking about how to be a great postnatal support. And this is for partners, grandparents, friends, whoever you are listening to this. I have a first disclaimer for you because there's big feelings around postnatal support and usually they are your own and not actually the reality of what the woman is experiencing. So if you're listening to this as a birth supporter, as a postnatal support person, someone that you love is pregnant and about to have a baby, they may have shared this with you because they love you and they want your help. So I was definitely that person that was like, I want this, but I don't actually feel safe in receiving it yet because it's vulnerable. And so there's naturally anything that's foreign, there's going to be a fear of, maybe this doesn't feel good. So just a lot of love because my partner was definitely one of these men who so wanted to, he used to buy me period presents and I'd be like, I don't need those. I'm an independent woman and I can do anything you can do bleeding. And now I'm like, oh, I need the period presents. (laughs) And he's brought them back. And now my boys get to witness, you know, how you love on a woman when she's bleeding. But I was not willing to receive his love in that so I do want to highlight we're all different um and some of you will be resonating with this and thinking yeah that's my partner she you know says she wants it and then it's tricky for her to receive and some of you are like no my partner wants everything and I never know how to show up right or and I do just want to acknowledge that so many partners are out there trying and often without intention are made to feel wrong And I definitely made my husband wrong. And I did that because I watched my mum do it. (laughs) We're not going to get to the bottom of people's relationship problems today because I think that's a deep, that's a potentially a symptom of something that's already simmering. And then when the stress of having a baby arises, all of a sudden all this stuff becomes essential. That's postpartum. That is postpartum. My biggest postpartum tip straight off the bat is be willing to do the work emotionally on yourself so that you can better yourself as a father or a parent or a grandparent. Be willing to reflect on you. We need to look more internally. So my biggest tip for postpartum and thriving and being nourished as a family is to do your own work, do your own emotional work, learn how to turn up in a compassionate, non-judgmental way and not make things about you. That's, I say that in a very, very loving way. Let's be honest, it's the most rewarding and hardest challenge. You know, what was my husband saying? My my biggest challenge and my greatest reward. 100% it's hard. And I think, you know, my biggest tip as a couple surviving postpartum 
is shifting from taking score to taking care. And yep. remember, you came into this together. You wanted to do this together. And if this is your first baby, you may be listening to this being like you're all in the love bubble already and you're like, that's not going to happen to us. And then you might need to come back and listen to this episode actually. Yeah. But it's big and a lot of this is relationship dynamics but personal personal makeup, um, what, what you make things mean, what your imprints are and all of that. So understanding what you've witnessed growing up understanding what you want and intentionally moving forward is massive. Um, So that's, yeah, I mean, that's the biggest tip. Yeah. And these conversations I think should happen when you're pregnant is, you know, a great question to ask. And that was the very first thing I was going to mention as well, B, uh, that whenever you're thinking about what can I do for this woman, my partner, my love, my, you know, my daughter, your friend, whoever they are that's had a baby, uh, find out what they need or what they want from you instead of trying to deliver to them what you think they need from you. But, again, if you're hearing this, this means that there are people in your life that that you love or that love you and they want to receive your love, and that's what we're going to talk about today, how to love and care for a woman who's just had a baby if you are their partner if they are your grand or your daughter your if it's whatever if you're related to them your sister your friend how can you love them postpartum yeah and I think so often especially being a midwife working with um people who are having their first babies and we don't see this um in second and subsequent pregnancies so much because people have um, experience the journey and understand it but so often the mindset and we are shifting culturally but people typically see the birth as the ending um, and all their focus and attention is on that birth the birth is the beginning and it's the beginning of you as a family unit and so these conversations around what you want postpartum to look like as a family and what you want parenting to look like as a couple are things that need to be discussed in pregnancy. So we do postpartum planning sessions at Coram Flora Store. If you need some guidance and help around that, we can actually sit down and individually have your needs met as an individual or as a couple, as a family unit. So really just want to say, see the birth as the beginning, the middle ground, but don't see it as the end. And really understand that postpartum starts from as soon as that placenta is out because birth isn't just the birth of the baby, it's the birth of the placenta as well. And your advocacy role never stops. So often what you've been listening to with this podcast, if you've been sent more than this episode, is how to advocate for your partner during labour and birth, how to be the prefrontal cortex and the voice that's connected to it because labour and birth, we're not labouring from that thinking mind, we're labouring from that feelings and behaviour part of the brain. And so often we need to call people in to be the problem solvers for us. We also need to be the advocate for the person birthing or the woman during postpartum. Um, And so really understanding that you are advocating throughout the system in that space and you're also advocating for your own external world, a.k.a. visitors and family who want to turn up when the placenta may be not even out yet. Um, Well, let's, I reckon let's start at this point because, I mean, postpartum goes for, for, 
for a long time. Months and months postpartum's and months. forever. Once you've ever, had a baby, you are always postpartum. Right. Um, but, but let's start from, you know, most people listening to this podcast will be giving birth in hospital. There's a few percentage of women who have given birth at home and that's different again. But let's start there with the babies out and now postpartum care has begun. I think the biggest thing that I hear from partners is that if the the woman is separated from the baby and or the partner at any time, and I just want to say as a society, I think this is the most horrific thing we do. And the fact that there are neonatal intensive care units separate to maternity wards is just mind-boggling. And I'm, I'm really inviting you as a listener to think about what your definition of health is. What your definition of your partner who is giving birth of their health is and your baby's health because often life is the definition, alive, um, and it will be different for everybody and it will be impacted on if you've had babies that have passed before, of course, and there is no right or wrong here. As with everything we say, there's no right or wrong. Take what lands for you, throw out the rest. But I really invite you to first think about what the definition is and what more and more of us are starting to understand is that health for many of us is more than just being alive. It is our emotional well-being, it's our family's well-being, it's our spiritual, our cultural, mental and physical all wrapped into one. And so the biggest thing that I see is when there's been separation and when a partner has perhaps been left with the baby in a room on their own, and this happens far too often because the woman has been taken away for surgery and you know, it's the first moments that you've become a family and you're now sharing it with all these strangers and then your partner gets whisked away. And so really talking and addressing the parts that can come up that you don't want to can ensure that if they do come up that they're safe and people will say, oh, then you're manifesting it. And no, I'm not telling you to hold your energy that that's going to happen. But often if we don't address our fears, they do play out and they play out for a reason. So really asking yourself as a partner, as a as a postnatal support, what's my greatest fear here? Okay, well, can we talk to each other as a couple and go, hey, honey, I know this isn't your fear. Maybe it is. This is my fear and I know it hasn't happened, but I'd really like to talk about what you feel like you would need and what I would need in this situation and how we would manage it. And this is why I love doulas because it's an extra person for the support person. I, you know, and apologies if I'm offending any doulas here, but I really see the doulas role is to keep the environment safe and that's everybody in the environment. So often doulas are an incredible support for the support person, the partner, so they can be the support person they need to be there so that they're nourished emotionally and physically. Well, and this really speaks to like we did the birth mapping episode it's really valuable to do a postpartum mapping or postpartum plan because even little things like, you know, if you're separated from the baby, talking about when do we announce the birth and and would it be upsetting for the woman, for example, if she was in theatres having some uh, procedure and then came out to discover that that her partner's called all the grandparents and they're all sitting there and they've met the baby and held the baby and she's been absent for a few hours and come back to people 
enjoying her baby that that was her time and so yeah having really specific conversations about uh, and mapping this stuff out like when do we want to tell everyone do we want to wait 24 hours do we want them at the hospital do we like what's the plan and what's the plan if our boundaries aren't being respected so I grew up my birth story is that my mum had a cesarean section and ended up with bowel obstruction and ended up in ICU and didn't get to meet me for 12 hours. And the postpartum story I was told was that my whole family, my mum was one of seven, my whole family, all her sisters and brothers were waiting at the hospital for 12 hours because my dad was this incredibly incredible boundary holder that was like, no, none of you are meeting her before the mother meets this baby, well, my mother meets me. And I just what an imprint for me to receive as a child is that you can hold that boundary and how important the, I mean, the mother is, the mother and baby die, there's nothing, nothing. I don't even have the words to explain that, especially that first time you become a mother, like not taking it away from our other children, but it's very different that first time. And lots of things that happened in my first postpartum didn't feel good. I also, I know many people name their babies, but we didn't name our baby. We didn't know the gender of our baby. We didn't have a name. And that was something I wish we had discussed what that was going to look like postpartum because the amount of people that wanted to give us input on what we were to call our child and our child is now called something different than what we wanted. He's, we refer to him as his middle name, but his first name on his birth certificate is something completely different because my father-in-law stood in this place that he was born and said, you can't call him that. That's not a name. Um, and so I know I've just turned into a counseling session for me here, but this stuff is huge because, and the other thing is, if we've had a great physiological birth like I did, we're riding that oxytocin high. And I remember at about three or four weeks postpartum being like, oh, what just happened? <laughs> like, what did I just agree to? Because I was like, yes, everybody come and stay. Yes, because I was just in this love bubble of like accepting and then afterwards being like, actually, that didn't feel good. And so this is where when you're pregnant, these discussions are important. When are we going to tell people? Which visitors are we going to accept? Mm -hmm. And I want to say right now, even though many of you were conditioned to believe that other people's feelings were your responsibility, they are not. Right. No one else's feelings are your responsibility. And so if your mum doesn't like the fact that you're holding a boundary over her coming into your house when your partner is early postpartum, that's on your mum. Mm -hmm. That's not on you. And I know it feels big for you. And that's for you to work out and for you to get support around. But you don't have to please your parents anymore. I would really advocate for like some pre-written templates that people can use as text messages. Like, I'll get on it. <laughs> right? Like, you know, you had the baby and you've both had this discussion like, right, we're going to wait 24 hours or 12 hours or till the morning till we tell anyone we've had a baby. And just also, I, if you can help it, don't even tell people you're in labour yet because that's... A hundred percent. The biggest, my biggest tips, tell people you're due after 42 weeks. 
So yeah, your uh-huh. due date is the 10th of December. You tell everybody that you are due the 24th because that is technically when the uh, uh, term pregnancy ends at 42 weeks, knowing that people got over that date. So be like the Royals and just give a season. I gave periods like Christmas, around yeah. Christmas sometime we'll be having a baby. So lie about the pregnancy. Do not tell people about labour and birth. And this comes from like my midwifery knowledge of being at the desk and having mother-in-laws and mothers calling and us saying, I'm sorry, we can't give you any information because we can't. My son's not picking up his phone. Can you please tell me what's happening to my daughter or my daughter-in-law? My son-in-law's not picking up his phone. No, we can't. But I do understand where they're coming from because they're stressed out. So you've got to think. Do you want to be answering your phone? Do you want to be texting? I can tell you a lot of women have a lot of trauma over their what their partners do on their phones in birth and postpartum. You've got to, as a woman, if you're listening to this, you need to convey your wants. And if you can't, you need to dive into why. Do you think you're not worthy enough of getting your needs met? What are your needs? What are your wants? Knowing that they're different. And then how do you need your partner to turn up? And as the partner of the support people, be honest. If you don't think you can turn up in this way, that's okay. You don't have to be the whole village. It's okay to say, this is really tricky for me. And so one of the biggest sentences that we use as a family is how do we all get our needs met? So your need as the partner may be that you want your family in straight away and your need as the birthing partner may be that you don't want anyone for four weeks. And so it's about going, okay, we're a team. Let's work at this as a team rather than fighting it out and notice that if the fights come, that's a beautiful time to go, hey, this isn't the time right now. This doesn't feel good for any of us. Let's leave it and come back. Have some time, talk to other people that can support you and then come back as a couple and have the conversation. How do we all get our needs met, right? And often what we need in order to have those conversations is the ability to listen to hear rather than listen to fix. And that is very different. Listening to hear is where you just listen to hear the other person rather than trying to make it better or change their opinion or anything like that. And you both get a go of that and you both see each other as equals. And then you share information around why it's important to you and you own your own feelings rather than digging at each other. I've lived this. I can tell you, like, all of this, and this is my jam, right? This is my jam because doing this work has saved my marriage. 100% we would be divorced by now if I hadn't done all this work that I've done on myself. But super important to have the conversations with compassion for each other, leave them when they're not working, come back to them, own your own feelings and your own responsibility in it. Don't take responsibility for anybody else feelings that's in your external world as always do what you want but when you're in labor what when you're naming baby and when you're willing to have visitors and which visitors you're willing to have are, are three big things that you really need to talk about so 100 i do not advise telling anybody that the baby is born until mother and baby are well and together and there's been a first feed and like in this planning phase i think it could be really handy for each parent to sit down and go, right, write down what you want for the postpartum and just separately write it down, write down what you're thinking, 
you might find that one partner's like, I don't know, I haven't even thought about it. Like, mm-hmm. great. Well, then you can just go along with what the woman's. <laughs> or have some space to actually think about it and go, what do? Like, actually pause and reflect and be a bit intentional in this yeah. life. And go through each other's list. Like, take turns. Okay, here's my first. This is really important to me. Super important information. You want to try and understand each other's expectations. Yeah. So if you've been separated from your partner and you have the baby, it's really important to talk about what do you want that time to look like? So do you want to do skin to skin? Does that feel right for you? And there's been incredible research on men that when men do skin to skin in that first 24 hours, it rewires their brain for parenthood. And that is just, I mean, aren't humans friggin' phenomenal? So cool. And a really incredible book that I invite all of you to read. It'll take you half a day to read. It's called The Scientification of Love. Love. Yes. Um, and it's my favourite like, book. Hey, it is my, my, my favourite book. Too. Um, the Scientification of Love by Michel Audant, um, French obstetrician. And there's a really cool part in there about warriors and how they're separated from their mothers in order to be hard ass. Yeah, that's it. There it is. The science. And it's, show how thin it is because it's, it's really thin. Yeah, you can read you're it watching, in a day. Yeah, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll be seeing what I'm doing. If you're listening to us on a podcast, I'm holding what the book up. It's a great book and it, it just, oh, it's phenomenal. But super important. So, okay. What does it look like? Do you want your partner to give a baby, um, your baby a feed? And if you do, what do you want that to look like? And if you've forgotten the colostrum, which happens over and over again, it's still in your freezer, what do you want that to look like? Do you have a backup person who can go into your house and get the colostrum and bring it up? Are you willing for your baby to have formula? Are you not? What tests are you willing for your baby to have, right? Because your advocacy role now goes to them. What kind of observations, immunizations? This is all the stuff that you need to be across because if your partner comes back from surgery and all of a sudden this stuff has been done and they're like, I didn't want that to happen to my child or I didn't know that was going to happen without me being there or I wanted to be there for that. And if you are in a fragmented care model and even if you're in a continuous continuity of care model which can stem across private obstetrics um, as well in a system we very much like to tick the boxes and we have to tick the boxes otherwise we get in trouble from the next person who we're handing over the boxes to because the boxes are continuous right like between all the shifts and so if we haven't ticked enough boxes the next person gets pissed off because now they've got more boxes to tick and so this can very much be the start of your family's life is the box ticking and so you need to talk about what are you willing to miss out on perhaps? What are you not willing to miss out on? Maybe you're not willing to miss out on anything and how your partner can advocate for you in that role. And just shout out, most of us are good girls and good boys and so advocacy can feel scary, but please know that those people are never going to, again, they're not your responsibility and they're not going to remember you until the day you die, but you and your partner are going to remember your baby's birth and it has a huge flow-on effect into postpartum so if that birth doesn't feel good postpartum has less of a chance of feeling good and it's a massive ripple effect so these first hours and first days are crucial to your family's life so what do you want it to look like um, so, yeah, thinking about feeding, thinking about if they get taken to a nursery, who's going to go? What's that going to look like? Who's going to be with your partner? Can you FaceTime each other so your partner doesn't miss out? But I've worked in the system. 
I read the statistics and the reality is most of us are experiencing in this day and age intervention and whether it's necessary or not is what this podcast has addressed previously. But your chances of something happening like this are high in in the system. And so it needs to be discussed, Um, especially if you're entering into a more intervention birth like an induction because you have a higher risk of experiencing those things or you're in a system of care that has increased risk of this, which is private obstetrics. So I'm not making that up. There is incredible research that shows that if you are a healthy woman, the um, risk of your baby ending up in NICU is higher based on the model of care and that is highest with private obstetric care and your risk of having interventions like a cesarean are higher despite your risk status and despite your wishes. So there was a conversation article on this back in 2022, I think. If you just Google conversation private obstetric care, it will come up. Um, So you've got the research around it. So, yeah, again, no right or wrong, but knowing if you've got a higher risk, okay, we actually do need to talk about these things. And I do think We need to talk about it regardless. And then visitors. Visitors are the biggest thing you need to talk about. Who are you willing to come in? When are you willing for them to come in? And what does it, what do you need in order for them to come in? Postnatal visitors in hospital are the real bugbear of mine. I just think when when a woman's in hospital, she's interrupted nonstop. Interrupted by from staff staff taking your food order a cleaner comes in if you're in a two-bedded room somebody else's visitors are coming in you can hear somebody else's conversations and their baby you're sharing a bathroom um the buzzers go off and wake you up day and night you can hear staff talking at the at the desk it is just like a music festival non-stop even at night time they come and check on you check your blood pressure and the baby and they're constantly waking up women and so for people to then say hey can I come visit consider the possibility that you're actually contributing to less rest for this woman and that could maybe like if you're going to visit a woman in hospital Unless you're going to actually enrich her experience, like take her some incredible food or bring something she's forgotten and needs, or if she's actually invited you, consider the possibility that you are going to actually add to the interruption and the loss of sleep and rest for her at a time where she needs it most. She's trying to learn how to breastfeed and the baby will wait for that. Yeah. And this, my saying around this is... I'm only willing for people that are going to hold the mother, not hold the baby. And we created a whole program on this called Holding the Mother because it really, and this is a, as a person listening to this, I really invite you to stop and think, what do you think postpartum is? What is this time meant for? This time is meant for huge physical recovery, right? From not just birth and labor, but also pregnancy Postpartum is about healing and recovery and restoration and integration and finding yourself as this new unit as a family, regardless of how many babies you have, because every time you have a baby, you become a new family. And so this time it needs to be protected and it doesn't exist in our culture. 
um, in Australia and there are many cultures that still respect it and you can listen to our postpartum session on this. I had, I've had so many messages this week from women saying I've had the best postpartum because of episode 40, but go back and listen to it. If you feel willing to and wanting to buy our Holding the Mother program and start looking at it now when you're pregnant and actually going, okay, what do I need? But you think about huge physical recovery from pregnancy. I mean, the heart has to shift out of the way in order for a person to grow a human inside of them. There is massive stuff that happens in the whole body, not just the vagina. But yeah, around the vulva, there is a lot. There is stuff she might not be able to wee um, or poo properly. Maybe she's experienced extensive tears. Maybe she's bleeding, right? She literally is bleeding, okay? And this is, again, because we don't think about women bleeding every month as this time of rest and recuperation. And so that has a massive impact on how we as a world think about postpartum. And they are typically people who have given birth are going to be bleeding for six weeks, right? So think about if they had broken their leg, what kind of support would they need? And I know birth is physiological and it's not an injury, but the reality is most people birthing in Australia experience some kind of injury, aka intervention. So an episiotomy, which is where the um, perineum is cut or a Caesarean is a massive operation. It's not like, oh, we just cut the baby out. It's a huge physical trauma on the body. Not saying it's emotional or mental for all, but it can be. And so what is that physical healing going to look like? And then what is the emotional and the mental healing going to look like? Because we don't always get what we want and we don't always get what we need. And we know that because of our birth trauma. And so really looking at if this happens, what do I need? But please, I really invite you. What do you think postpartum is for? I'm going to give you the answer. It's for healing and connection. And so the more undisturbed, the more supported and the more held the mother is, the more the connection with her baby happens, the more the connection within the family happens and the more ability she has to heal. And so what does that look like? How much time do you have off? Do you have enough time to enable her to heal and recover? And if you don't, how can you call on your community for that? And please go and listen to that episode as well because we did cover it a lot. But in terms of there is going to be real physical help that you will probably need. Like do you know how to put a pad in underwear? The amount of men I have taught how to put a pad on underwear in those moments postpartum, walk her to the bath, walk her back, get her everything she needs like you are her servant, right? That is in see her as this whole person that has to heal and think, hmm, what does a person healing need? Physical, emotional support. So logistic stuff, if I've said that right, but like getting water, getting food, nourishing, anything that's going to hold her in all the senses, Yeah, and the way I describe exactly what you're describing, the way I talk to people about it is to basically say in the the postpartum period, the woman's only job should be to give her whole body to her baby but then also and then serve her basic needs like toileting and showering. Everything else should be brought to her. She shouldn't have to think about shopping lists, collecting groceries, looking after other children, cleaning anything, putting anything away, um, keeping on top of people like visitors and feeding animals. 
she should just have to look after her very basic hygiene needs, sleep, um, eat the food that's brought to her, have a full cup of water, have her tea or coffee or whatever beverage she wants made to absolute perfection, exactly how she likes it, and be allowed to rest and stay in bed and nourish herself so that she can look after her baby. Women who have just had a baby don't want to be rescued from their baby. They're not, they don't want to break from the baby. They're not an exhausted parent in a way that someone with three or four kids who's been doing it for 15 years is. They're a new parent who wants to meet, learn, and love a bit and love their baby. And biologically, that's what they're programmed to do. Like there's this deep biological need to be with your child and be with them. And that is because that's how they're kept alive, how we keep babies alive. Exactly. So what if you're going to support a woman postpartum, what you need to do is make sure that her time is not distracted away from her baby and her basic needs. And so you're going to manage everything else. And this is really big for partners who aren't normally in charge of the household or making the decisions because there are a lot of uh, women who, you know, who make the big decisions in the household, who know what day grocery day is, who know what knows what day it is to change the sheets and swap over the bath towels and all the emotional work and logistics of running a household. A lot of the time, and I don't want to generalize, but a lot of the time that burden is held by the women. And so making sure that your partner or whoever's coming to support you, a friend, grandparents, whoever, knows the general running of your house so that you don't have to logistically manage that in your absence. So even if you're in hospital, things need to be done for a day or two or three or if you're in hospital longer at your home. And so, you know, making the people around you competent in your household, I think should be a task during pregnancy. And I do want to say if you're listening and going, how do we do this? This feels really tricky. We don't have the resources, right? I do want to acknowledge that a lot of people will be going, but how? I don't know if I can do this. What I want to say is postpartum is the best time in your life to invest, right? It's an investment for your whole family's health, long term and short term. And if you don't know how to do these things, like, yeah, you're about to have kids. and Yeah, I do want to say, though, it comes as a partnership because perhaps no one's ever made her a cup of tea right. And so she just goes ahead and makes it because she doesn't see anybody else as capable. And when we don't hold our partners or other people close to us in a place of capacity, They feel that. So if I'm like, you're really shit at making a cup of tea, Mel, then you're not going to feel inspired or motivated to make me a cup of tea. And so a big part of this is relinquishing control and relinquishing how things have to be done right in inverted commas. And I know some of you are like, oh, B, you hit me hard. Like you're cutting through my heart. And then other people listening to this are going, mm-hmm, did you listen to that bit? It's 37 minutes and 40 seconds. Right? Be kind with each other. Be kind. Mm-hmm. But a big part is the control has to come down, acceptance of what may not be perfect, 
and hold our partners. One of the best things I've done in our relationship is hold my partner in a role of you are capable. You can do this. Come with me, just like we do with our children, right? They're not going to get on the bike and ride it straight away. And if we say, well, didn't do that very well, don't even worry about it. I'll ride the bike for you. They're never going to become a bike rider. My husband has a great great line that he learnt during postpartum that saved his postpartum journey. Mm -hmm. So this started with a tuna, mayo and shallot sandwich and he brought me. I I thought this was a person. I was like, a tuna mayo, I've never heard of her. You were talking about an angel sandwich. Tuna mayo sandwich. A tuna. A tuna. So I had a hankering and I said, I just feel like a sandwich with tuna and mayonnaise and shallots on it. Okay. Radio, up it came to my postpartum bed on day two. And I just started crying. And he's like, What? What's happened? What's happened? And I said, I just imagined that it would have more mayonnaise. Right? Really sad. So his line after that was whenever I sort of put in a request, like, hey, can you bring me up some ABC? He said, how are you imagining it in your head? Ooh. Right. Then I got to say, I'm imagining a lot of mayo. I'm imagining the shallots cut really fine and they're all mixed in together and the bread is going to be toasted. And and I'm imagining it's it's lathered on to about a centimetre thick, right? I feel like we could have just come on with that sentence and left again and that could have been the whole podcast. I feel like that's the sentence for life. How are you imagining it in your head? Yes, imagine if we all said that to each other more, what the world would look like. Well, so then. With a little bit of skin to skin at the same time, right? <laughs> but what that meant was, and then all you have to do is listen right? Listen to the description. Which is tricky for some, but you're capable. Exactly. So then what he did is like, I've made her the sandwich I would want to eat, right? And what he realized is I haven't made her the sandwich she wanted to eat. First time. Yeah. First time. And so I need to know what's going on in her head so that I can deliver. And that takes, um, like that's, I think that's a mature standpoint is what I'm saying is that it's not easy for everybody to then listen to how my sandwich sounded and then produce that because he'd have his own feelings like this is too much mayo. I would never make a sandwich like this. But you're not supposed to make the sandwich that you would want to eat. You're supposed to make the sandwich that the woman would want to eat and that is the same for everything is you're not supposed to visit on the day that you want to visit. You're supposed to visit on the day that the woman wants to receive visitors. When you were talking, that's the situation that came to mind. Mm, I think it's so important. The thing that came to my mind, and I was thinking about tears, please know that the hormonal drop, and I shared a post on this postpartum and it had millions of views. And it was a really tricky post because she talked about the postnatal, the postpartum drop is equivalent to taking like 30 contraceptive pills. And a part of that, is big because a lot of us have synthetic oxytocin for our third stage and I do think that impacts our postpartum hormones and I've had one of each placental birth and my postpartums were very different 
Um, but those tears are big. And I, and I think that line applies beautifully to, well, what is your expectations? How, how do you think it's going to look as a couple? But, you know, just really understand that this is a time of recovery and change. So talk about them. Hey, these things might happen. If they do, what do you think you're going to need around it? What do you, what do you imagine happening around it? So the physical elements of postpartum and the emotional and mental. So, okay, if you develop postnatal depression, which I know neither of us think you will, what do you want that to look like? Okay, if you develop prolapse, what do you want it to look like? What support do you need? How can we invest in your recovery and in our family? Does that look like we put some money away in pregnancy to have osteopathy care postpartum or a postpartum doula who can come in and support the goings-on of the household in postpartum. Maybe we hire a cleaner for that period and we don't have to continue with them forever, but we invest in postpartum in order to invest in our family. And I'm not just talking about financial investment, but in today's day and age with our modernity and our disconnection from our external family, that is a reality for most that we're going to have to pay for this help. Maybe we get a 17-year-old babysitter to come and she's willing to clean at the same time like what get creative here you are intelligent beings and most humans do not live up to their potential so I'm inviting you to live up to your postpartum potential be creative on how you can get your needs met in postpartum what can it look like maybe there's a elderly couple that live down the road and they've never had kids and they are aching to support and then someone that's my mum my mum cooks for the whole street. There is a woman across the road who has five children and my mum cooks her two to three meals a week. But this is the greater work and you are capable of it and your children are inviting you to do that. So in terms of postpartum recovery, we talk about there's a saying, five days in bed, five days on bed, five days around bed. And that is really talking about those first couple of weeks postpartum need to be about rest for that person. So that is a beautiful kind of Uh, not rule, but boundary to live by. Please don't do what I did though and then go, well, I've done that and now I'm good because postpartum healing, we now recognize it doesn't just take six weeks, a minimum six months, majority of us seven years, seven years to heal from pregnancy and birth. And I really think it's that long because we don't get the healing in this early part. So early postpartum to me is six months. You are still early postpartum if you're in that six-month part because I'm thinking about the core and the pelvic floor and, and the whole body and how we physically recover. So please think about, okay, what do we want the first couple of weeks to look like? Then once you go back to work, what do we want that to paid work if you're going to do that? What do we want that to look like? What do we want long-term to, to a postpartum to look like? Um, and, and having those conversations. The other thing I want to say is, Learn to read your partner. Learn to read when perhaps their mouth is saying yes to something, but their body is saying no. 100%. B, you went to all of the beautiful, deep stuff that I never consider saying. That's my jam, though. I appreciate where I go. That's like, 
the deep anal fissures and the deep emotional triggers. That's, I, I love that stuff. Right, because I went ahead in preparation for this episode and made like 12 practical tips, right? And be Which is probably what so many people want to come here for. <laughs> like, well, give, me, just I mean, give me the list. Give me the list and let me dig it off. Well, I think Tell us what your 12 practical tips are, please, considering right. you've written them. I mean, I feel like everyone's going to get what they need. They're going to get what they needed from you. There are some people who are going to become for yours and some people are coming for the practical 12-step process and not to, I don't want to, I don't want to pigeonhole men, but men love a good job. We never want to do that. No. So but anyway, but here I am with your very practical checklist and we've already covered off some of the, some of the stuff already with what you've been saying, but you know, we talked about not coming for the baby, come for the woman. So hold the mother. Don't hold, hold the, the mother. If someone walks in to the room and goes straight for the baby, they're the, that's the biggest red flag ever. Like they should just be like like in the in the banks where the bars yeah. come up and like, no, nah, you're shut out of postpartum now. Wrong person. Red <laughs> Sorry flag. Be quiet now. But just like. <laughs> That's your red flag and just learn from that, right? They held the baby. They didn't hold the mother. Bang. Right. So assume, yeah, assume you will not be holding the baby. Assuming you're coming not to hold or see the baby and that puts you in a completely different frame of mind. So if you're a visitor coming into the home, obviously if you're a partner, hold your baby all the time. Whenever the mother's not holding the baby, hold the baby. But if you are a visitor or a grandparent or whoever you are, arrive assuming you're going to be holding the mother and managing that and her, and it's only a bonus if you get to hold the baby, don't assume. In the postpartum, when you're talking to your loved one, um, instead of saying, when can I come visit, say, when do you think you'll feel ready for visitors? And then that gives the woman the opportunity to choose. And then you need to be comfortable with the answer. And you could also preface it with, I'm happy with whatever you need. You just let me know. I'll wait as long as you need. That communicates to the woman that it is okay to say, please don't come for seven days or please don't come for four days or whatever it is. And then you can you can end it with, if you need to change that, just let me know. Like if you're having a bad day that day, let me know. So really tenderly and carefully make plans if you are going to visit. Now, if the woman doesn't want to see you for seven days or two weeks or three weeks or whatever, you can still care for them even if you're not in their physical presence. So um, offering, for example, to I had a friend text me saying I've delivered a pizza to your house like amazing I know that she's not coming I don't have there's no like formal niceties that need to go on I'm just going to receive a pizza uh and food I'm just- at the door is my favorite gift to give people yeah food, food at the door oh, but you want a ninja you want to be as if you weren't there yeah. just leave it and and back away and so if the woman doesn't want visitors ask her what do you what do you think you need? So ask the woman what she needs rather than assuming you know what she needs or rather than giving her what you think she needs. And tell her also what you feel capable of offering. 
So if the woman says, I want you to come and live in my house and clean it every day and make all the meals, right? If that's not something you feel like you can do, you've got to tell her. Say, oh, that's a lot of, that's a lot. And I can see that you need it. Here's what I can do. I won't be able to do it all, but let me see what we can do to help you with the rest. So the loving care needs to be what the woman wants to receive rather than what you want to give. And, you know, you could just really basic questions that are like statements that you can make during the pregnancy. I want to be able to help you when your baby is born and I'll do whatever you need. What will make it easier for you? So allowing the woman to just tell you and then receive it without being disappointed or, you know, casting judgment. She might ask you to care for her other children. She might not want you to come to the house. She might want you to take her other children out of the house and you might not get to see her or the baby and you might need to be okay with that. A really beautiful thing that we haven't talked about is if you are having second and subsequent babies, how do you want your family to reunite? But really thinking about how do you want your older children to meet your baby what do you want them to see when they walk in do you want them to see you holding the baby you can do that intentionally if you would like to who brings that child in where do you want it to happen who else do you want to be there do you want it just to be you as a family Um, obviously very different at home birth for those listening who are having second and subsequent babies what do you want that to look like and then How do you want to be able to hold space for your child's transition, your elder children's transition? Because there's always a transition whenever a child is added to the family. Yeah, totally. Uh, Well, a lot of mine is about how do you um, respectfully enter this postpartum space? So super practical. If you're coming to the woman's home, do not ring the doorbell or make a ruckus when you arrive, keep it quiet and peaceful. Either she's sleeping or the baby's sleeping or they're done with noise. So keep it quiet. When you come to the house, don't... Signs on the door. Signs on the door for that. So just like we we had a sign on our door for a whole year, um, please don't ring the doorbell, our baby may be sleeping. And that sign was just permanently there because we get a lot of deliveries for the shop. Um, but, yeah, make a sign saying whatever you wanted to say. Mother and baby are resting right now. Please come back later. Yeah. Whatever you need it to say. Signs for the door. Are- yeah, make a sign. And then if you're a visitor, you've got to respect the sign. That's your job. And when you come to the house, expect not to be catered to. Expect mess, undone chores, make your own cup of tea and food, make it for everybody else. The social graces of hospitality become your responsibility now, not the parents. If you're coming into somebody's postpartum space early in the piece, then you are probably in a relationship with them that would mean that you could also take over their household requirements. So don't assume that you're going to be catered to in that scenario. They're busy. Um, text or call before coming. Don't just stop in ever. And then when you do send the text or when you're on your way, say, this is like template text, B, put this as a template. I'm stopping at the shops on the way. What do you need me to pick up? Ask them to send their current shopping list, offer to buy pads, all the things. Don't even give them the option of like, do you need anything? It's like, what do you need from the shops? 
Like I am going to the shops. Like, oh, do, do you need to go? Do you need anything from the shops? It's well, like, yeah, like, um, let me know if you need help, or you know, those kind of really open-ended sentences. Because often, especially in postpartum, think about po- postpartum is a real body thing. It's not a mental thing, and so to bring someone back into their mind, often it's like, or oh, how can I help? Those kind of questions. Oh, no. Just be really specific. Think about, well, how could I help? And then offer it. I'm going to the shops. What do you need? I'm making you dinner. Are there any dietary requirements? Right? Like be really specific and straight to the point and say you're doing it because that how can I help is like, oh, I know you want to help and I really can't think of anything right now and I don't. Like it's just it adds to the mental load and that is something I wanted to say as well. We have an incredible mental load checklist on Core and Floor Restore under freebies and I really, really invite every um, couple who is expecting a baby to sit down and do it because it basically lists all the jobs that we could possibly think of that a family has to do, all the unpaid work. And who does it and how do you tally it up? And you can print, it's a PDF, so you can, you know, write into it. You can print it off and have a different one for each kind of stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing we haven't really spoken about that is probably apart from physical recovery and allowing space for exercise, and I don't mean lifting squats, I mean like breathing techniques, connecting to your core and pelvic floor, functional movement, that kind of stuff. People need to start healing from birth, but nourishment, nutrition is huge in postpartum please talk about it because so many women this is where they get you know thrush nipple thrush or they're just not being hydrated or fed well and constipation i see constipation is one of the biggest reasons women end up with things like prolapse and incontinence postpartum but they don't experience in those first couple of weeks and then they get really constipated when their milk comes in or once they've established feeding and perhaps their partner's gone back to paid work and there isn't the nourishment in the house to for what their bodies need. And so they end up just picking at anything they can eat with one hand, which is often cookies and stuff that dehydrates them, ends up constipated and doesn't allow their body to heal. So, again, the first 40 days, I love that book. Um, there are postpartum doulas and companies around you that may do this and make the food, but really nourishing food that helps healing to warmth and foods that heal them and this is not my expertise but make it yours figure out what you need and how you can get that nourishment yeah so that's a message for people making meals postpartum is just ensure that they're high in nutrients and not like so a lot of freezer meals like you know frozen lasagnas and stuff that people can stack in the freezer are often overcooked and under like there's not a lot of veggies in them because veggies don't really freeze that well. So, yeah, it can be challenging. Like in the past, I've made postpartum meals where, like, for example, like a a chicken curry, but all there is in there is the chicken and the curry, and I just leave a little note that says, you know, when you heat it up, add some chopped carrot and some, some frozen peas or something, like haven't added the veggies. And so it gives them an opportunity, like they've got the basis of a meal, but you know, a bit of instruction on you got to put the veggies in still if you if you want to get the best out of this. Mm. And so, I guess the take home message is: never arrive to a woman postpartum empty handed. Bring food, snacks, lunch or dinner, groceries, activities that come with an intention to be of service. Because 
if you're not giving something to the woman, there's no middle ground, you're taking something. You're taking her time, you're taking her rest time, you're taking her energy. If she knows you're coming, she may have actually done a little bit of a runaround and tidied her house or herself up. Like you are taking something from her just by showing up. So unless you've paved the way to say, please don't get out of bed, please don't tidy the house, I'm bringing groceries, pretend I'm not there, I'm there to just to just fill in any gaps that are around, you just go about your day. Then consider that your presence is actually more damaging than beneficial. Um, and, you know, by having this conversation with women ahead of time, if they, if, you know, I mean, grandparents are great at wanting to be involved with this most important time in their children's lives. But what I often see is people imposing themselves on postnatal families and then taking offence when the postnatal family doesn't appreciate it. And so, yeah. Huge. It's massive. And the other thing you've got to be is completely comfortable with boobs and nudity and blood and pads and dirty toilets and also let the woman know, you know, hey, I'm coming over, please, if you need to feed, it's totally fine. I'm completely comfortable. Like be explicit. Or if you're not comfortable with breastfeeding and breasts, maybe the postnatal space is not for you. And just and just acknowledge that. Yeah. Or because a lot of mothers perhaps don't feel comfortable breastfeeding in front of their father-in-law. And then what happens is they either isolate themselves in their own house and the whole family is just hanging out together. And this is super important for the partners. Like you are constantly reading the room. You are constantly advocating whether you're in the system or at home or around, you're out and about. You are constantly the surveyor of the environment. What is, does this feel good? Is this right? Hang on. My partner is in a room feeding a baby and I'm entertaining all these people and cooking and cleaning up for them. Does this feel good? No. Is this serving our immediate family unit and if it doesn't it doesn't you've got to ask yourself is this serving us no it's not serving us right now okay what's my role here my role is to step up and say thank you so much for coming um actually I need to get back to her she needs to be able to sit in the lounge room and feed can you guys please go so constantly being that person so yeah if you don't feel comfortable in front of people your visitors to breastfeed or to you know be yourself your authentic self which may be your hair's not done your makeup's not on and you're in your pjs then they're not the right person for that space yet yeah just think do i want this person in my space as it is and as it serves me but constantly asking does this serve me does this serve our family no matter who you are in this situation um but yeah breastfeeding is a big one because if you haven't i've heard from women where they haven't fed their baby because someone's been there yeah. and then how that has impacted their breastfeeding journey massively or had a flow-on effect to the night. Important is people wearing perfumes. That's going to be my next point. Oh, yes. Yeah. So important. Go, Mel, I'll let you have yeah. it. Yeah, so that's it. So any scent, any, so people have a smell. They have like your washing powder smells like stuff, your perfume, your deodorant, your, your um, shampoo and conditioner, like, Everything is covered in scent. And I don't know how to completely avoid this, but but I think 
if you are wearing perfume or strong smelling things, don't hold the baby and open the and window. cigarette smoke. So see cigarette if you're a smoker, wear a smoking jacket. You put yep. the smoking jacket on to smoke. You take the smoking jacket off and it stays outside. You wash your hands. You wash your face. And the um, vaping, the vaping smells. Oh, all, wow, that's a thing. A thing. <laughs> Vaping's a thing. I know. Anything that has a smell. If you're a midwife and you wear perfume to work, I just oh, want to say now, please reconsider that. Yeah. And strong deodorants, please reconsider it for your paid part of your life. And so we need to explain why. And this is because a baby's scent is their strongest smell over vision when they're learning to breastfeed. And so the breast, the nipple, the areola, they um, was really the areola and the nipple um, produce a smell that is similar to amniotic fluid so the baby recognizes it it feels safe and it's drawn to it um, and so they're not going oh there's a boob with my eyes I need to go to it they're actually sniffing it out that is happening for the person that you are supporting and they feel deeply raw and exposed and so they may smell things or feel things that you may not and on this is the most incredible thing that happened to me I remember being at a postpartum appointment and the woman being like, I can just smell gas. I can smell gas in our house. And he, the partner was like, I can't smell anything. And I was like, I would be trusting her and her smell um, because she is more connected to this environment than you are. Anyway, they got someone to come out and look at the oven and it was leaking. There was a gas leak. And he, the guy was like, I can't believe you could even smell this because like how it picked up. But he was like, yeah, there's a gas leak in your oven. Like, well, we know how to sense danger. Senses, hey? yeah. I mean, it's designed, do we know how to sense danger? Yeah. It's designed to, we're primed. Yeah. Like the oxytocin that we get and the, and the increase in sensation that we get, we're primed to detect and protect our, like danger and yeah. protect our babies. Yeah. And so I know if they smell like something else, also babies smell incredible. Oh, so good. Right? They smell <laughs> amazing. And there is, there's actual science about what happens to a woman's brain when she sniffs her baby. So there's a reason why we want to actually sniff our children. And yeah. don't wear perfume. And don't wear perfume. And if you're going to, if you've got something that smells strongly on you, don't hold the baby. The same goes for like essential oils and all these things. Don't hold the baby because um, it's just, it's going to really stuff up the woman, the rest of the woman's day. It, it bothers her brain. And I'm yeah. sure it will bother the baby's brain. Yeah, 100%. The woman, I just, it's so bothersome. And even if they just come in for a little kiss, if they just oh. kiss the baby, you can smell it. And it's like, it's just, yeah, it's huge. It's yeah. really big. Um, okay, I have a few more points. Um, if you're visiting, and this depends on your relationship with the woman, but don't bring your own children as well into that space. Not the time. That's all I'm saying about that. It's not the time to bring the kids over for a play, probably. Depends. Depends, but to talk about something to talk about and what you're willing for. All right, I got two more. Don't offer advice unless the woman explicitly asks for your assistance. Bite your tongue at every opportunity. Instead of offering advice, so if you see the woman doing something and you think, oh, I wouldn't do it that way, use every 
ounce of your energy to tell the woman she's doing an amazing job and how proud you are of her. You know, if she's sitting there struggling with breastfeeding and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I would just do this or I would do that, don't let that leave your your mouth. Just tell her you've got this, you're going to get this, keep going, I'm so proud of you, you can do this, All right? Never she, start your sentence in with, in my day. In my day or in if my I day. were you. Those sentences are banned or if I were you. I were yeah. you. I did this and I was very, I did it very successfully. Exactly. Do not offer advice unless the woman looks at you and explicitly says, what should I do in this situation? Offer nothing. All right. Tell her she's doing amazing. And and validate. A really beautiful thing to do is say, I hear you're having a really hard time. What do you think you need? Yeah, that can be a beautiful sentence of, you know, another beautiful line. Would you like me just to listen or would you like some advice? Mm. So I we use that a lot. Would you like me just to listen or would you like some advice? And if you, they want you just to listen, it doesn't matter what you say, what they what great advice you have, you don't give it. And you really do have to bite your tongue sometimes and just go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And all they really need to hear is validation. That sounds really hard. Tell me more. And this is the same thing we do as midwives be. Like when a woman is sitting there in front of us going, oh, my gosh, I'm bleeding and my bum hurts and my nipples hurt and I'm tired and my husband did this and I really want that. So we've heard all these things. Often I'll listen to women and afterwards say, is there anything I can offer you in Mm. this situation? Yeah, it sounds like, you know, partly also to say to a woman, this sounds very similar to what every woman postnatally is going through. You're not alone in this situation. This is how it feels sometimes. Is there anything I can offer you? So. Yeah, I think the validation is probably more important than the encouragement because the encouragement, whilst it comes from a loving place, there and there is definitely a time for it. And often, it's that's us listening to fix, and we're going, "You can do this," and she's going, "But I can't." And it's like, okay, well, let's explore why you think you can't. Like actually, just validating first, and then often people really just need to be heard. And once they're heard, then they get the capacity, or the capacity comes in the conversation of like you know what, I do have this, I can do this. So listen to here rather than fix. Yeah, and i got one final point for visitors and it kind of can be two two parts. Um, Don't ask about the birth. Unless the woman is offering you her birth story, she's not ready to tell you yet. And, you know, Don't ask about stitches and pain relief and the contractions. That can all come later unless she offers you her story. It it might not be helpful to start asking details in the early stages. Alternatively, if you're a partner and a woman starts talking to you about her birth, again, it's just the listening and lines like, but the baby's fine or the baby's healthy, at least the baby's okay, really diminishes her experience. So just acknowledging that one-third of women will come out of their birth experience feeling some trauma and dissatisfaction, that's at least one-third. And so 
just realizing that when you ask somebody about their birth, you could be actually opening a massive can of worms and maybe it's not the time in the early postpartum period. Yeah, and whilst the stats say one-third, from everything I know and everything I've done listening to thousands of stories now, 100% of people walk away from their birth with the story and every story deserves to be heard. Every birth needs to be heard and birth is a very deep, emotional experience and it needs to be unpacked when it's ready for you so regardless of whether you thought it was traumatic or not and so every birth story deserves to be heard yeah yeah amazing we did it all right, I think. Uh, all right, everybody. That is this week's episode of the Great Birth Rebellion. And B and I will see you in the next episode. Have an epic postpartum. Thanks for listening with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com. Mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast. You can find out more about Mel at melaniethemidwife.com and find out more about me, B, at coreandfloor.com.au. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> all right.